but I'm really working on not trying to judge other people's decisions and other people's opinions because I don't walk in their shoes. Like, I don't know what kind of history they've had and what kind of experiences that may, they've had in the past that have led them to this action or to this decision. Welcome back to the Tichos Table podcast, a podcast for anyone interested in veganism or plant-based food, whether you're vegan or not. I'm Jonathan, the voice in your head. On the show today, I'll be interviewing food photographer and blogger Romy London. I'll ask her about her experience on the Netflix cooking show Crazy Delicious, as well as her vegan journey, her love of Harry Potter, and much more. But first, Val and I get to grips with a real head-scratcher of a dilemma. John and Val. Vegan Wines with John and Val. So I'm joined again by Val Gallardo, uh, the Rafiki to my Simba in vegan terms, or maybe the Timon to my Pumba. Um, <laughs> in that she uh, was one of my personal inspirations to go vegan. We're going to solve another problem. Well, we'll do our best to solve a problem. We'll do our best. Uh. Um, first things first, we're going to open the wine of the day, which is the organic La Posada Malbec from Argentina, sent to us so kindly by Oxfam Fairtrade. It's supposed to have an intense aroma of violets, red fruits, plums, berries and hazelnut with a hint of tobacco, chocolate, and vanilla. Cheers. Let's see what it tastes like. Cheers. If it lives up to the uh, dramatic description. It smells very good. It does smell lovely. You can smell the fruit. Wow, very smooth. I always wonder with these things if it's your imagination at work. or. But I do taste this kind of darker undertone that may be described as chocolate or tobacco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see mean, what you mean. It tastes really good. Well, we're not being paid to say it's good. No, I generally think it's good. I would buy it. I know I bought a lot of wines at the supermarket for the same price that turned out disappointingly. Yeah, or even worse at the night shop. You pay well, the night for shop, a bottle of yeah, wine and it's like, ugh. Well, that's the thing. If you buy it in advance, if you think about what you're buying, and in this case, you know it's vegan because uh, on the website, everything is labeled as vegan. It's also organic in this case. And fair trade. And fair trade. Come on. So let's get to the issue at hand here. Let's You're going to read question. out the... Yes. Um... So this is from Hilda in the Netherlands. Dear John and Val, I recently enjoyed a lovely vacation with my family. Lovely, except for one thing. My heart sank every time we had to make arrangements for dinner, because I knew that in the region where we were staying, there would be no vegan-friendly restaurants. That sucks. <laughs> mm. In fact, there were rarely even any vegetarian options available. And my family were excited to try the local dishes, which were not vegan at all. So I occasionally just swallowed my pride and ate the vegetarian option, so as not to spoil my family's holidays, holiday with drama. What would you have done? Yeah. It's an interesting question, I think. So in this case, the, the it's not just that it's not a very vegan-friendly place. It's also the factor that she's with her family. Yeah. They're excited to eat, you know, whatever it is, uh, yeah, seafood yeah. or yeah. Um, you know, whatever local animals are being exploited. So she doesn't want to disappoint them by like yeah, saying, it's more no, like you can't go issue, there. Right? Yeah. Because, you know, if it wasn't for that, I mean, you can kind of tell uh, the restaurants 
that might be open to veganism. If they yeah. already have a vegetarian option, at least they're kind of shows that they're willing to welcome different kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, a steak restaurant is never going to be a very welcoming place no, for a of vegan. of course, of course. But no, I think like this particular issue is like, for me, it's about boundaries. Um, a lot of us are raised to like be polite and want to please other people and make things comfortable for everybody. But if you make things uncomfortable for yourself then it's a problem. I think it's easier on the long run to like have strong boundaries and say like, uh, this is something I cannot do and I will not do it. In the long run, it's better. It makes things more comfortable for yourself because if you accommodate other people, mm. then you do it at your own expense in a way. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing. You got to communicate with your family. I know that's easier said than done <laughs> sometimes, but... I think this kind of issue is especially difficult in the beginning because you used to do things a different way. Yeah. So, so they're like, yeah, yeah, we know like, you. you know. You've done this before. Why don't you like, come on, you know? And it's like, there's a lot of social pressure, I think, mm. especially in families. Um, personally, I find it easier to be really firm and say, you know, this is what I'm doing now. And I'm, I don't even have to explain it. This is how it's going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is how it goes. And um, I, again, like it's got to do with this family's dynamics. But if you are on good terms with your family and they're generally supportive, uh, then maybe it's a good idea to state what you're doing now. And mm. if they're curious about why, you may explain why, but you don't really owe them an explanation. I mean, uh, they should respect your life choices, ideally. That's what it's about, respect. And maybe it's not even a vegan question. No, I don't think it's a vegan question at all. I think it's a question about family and yeah. like um, life choices, really. Honestly, it's going to help you in the long run if you set firm boundaries and you're strict with other people concerning like what is okay or what is not okay for you. It's really going to make you more comfortable. Uh, the word strict is going to set alarm bells ringing for, for yeah. people who don't like to be strict. But what yeah. you mean is to be clear. To be clear, yeah. yeah. To be clear in what's okay for you and what's not okay for you. I think like what you eat and what you put in your body is like... It's only you can make this, this decision for yourself. Mm. So there's you shouldn't put something in your body because other people want you to just to be like, okay, this sounds like kind of sexual <laughs> right now. <laughs> then it, well, in a way, I mean, it's, no, it's it, a related topic. It's the yeah. same. Like uh, you treat your body how you want to treat it and nobody has anything to say about that. Yeah, no one should um, pressure you into no. eating something you don't want to eat. Ideally, they shouldn't. But I know it happens. Well, as children, we, you know, our parents tell us what's healthy for us. But when we're adult, we can yeah. make our own decisions yeah, about indeed. that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, your family, on some level, even if it's a dysfunctional family, there's love there on some level. So I think if they really understood that you mean it when you say that it's important to you, there would be less resistance. In this case, there's the geographical element. But then I would say contact some restaurants in the area and you can also contact them possible. in advance That's yeah true. you can get an idea about the experience you're going to have you know if you contact a restaurant and you say is it possible to arrange a vegan option for one guest and they're completely rude to you while you know that you definitely don't want to be going to their restaurant i know that when i first became vegan i was like really nervous about upsetting people or creating drama like she says um mm. I didn't even dare to mention that I was vegan in restaurants. I would say, like, does this dish contain, like, 
you know, animal products or dairy. You yeah, know, you missed a whole bunch of things. And then you get something yeah. and you're like, oh, I, I forgot to mention yeah, blood. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I forgot to mention. So like vegans are portrayed as like these assholes who are like demanding that everybody uh, submit to their uh, quirky demands. But actually, I think it's the opposite. Like a lot of new vegans are very shy about um, absolutely making yeah. their uh, points and like demanding <laughs> vegan foods so they like try to find ways around being direct um, but in this case experience taught me that it's better to be direct go ahead and it's your choice and declare it to the world <laughs> yeah what would you have done like let's say your whole family wants to go to a restaurant where there's no vegan option and you yeah. have to tag along well i I think in terms of politeness, the person who arranges the booking should be sure that it's okay for everyone. Obviously, we're not quite there yet in society that people actually think about vegans in that way. They just hope for the best or they don't even think about it sometimes. But in family, I would hope that whoever's making the booking calls ahead and makes sure that something will be available for you. Now, if that doesn't happen... I would do that myself. I mean, I wouldn't hold a grudge about it because I know not everyone is thinking in this way. But in my mind, it's just polite to make sure that everybody, you know, has a nice evening. So yeah, it is. Yeah, it is you know, basic if, politeness. If someone had an allergy, yeah. you wouldn't take them. If someone has a seafood no, allergy, you true. wouldn't take them to a seafood restaurant. That's true. So I think we've established that uh, veganism is one issue, and communication with family is another issue. My advice is to try and approach these two issues together i would do that by uh, cooking together with your family uh, veganizing things that you all enjoy that you've enjoyed forever i mean i'm very lucky you're very lucky bell because we are both of our families both of our families are supportive of our yeah life choices let's say like i i've cooked christmas dinner for my family including my grandmother who's an, a whole other generation and they've been very appreciative yeah. of, uh, I mean, they they know the effort is a lot, even when it's a vegan <laughs> Christmas dinner. You know, I didn't de-feather a bird, but I did <laughs> cook all day and, and that's appreciated. Um, Was it you who suggested that you should cook for your whole family or uh, well, like, did they I, ask you or how did it go? Uh, I didn't demand it. I think it was more like they knew I was going to cook something for myself. And over the years, there was less of this, like, we'll cook a bit of meat on the side mm -hmm. and more like, okay, you just do everything mm -hmm. because what you did was great. You yeah. know? <laughs> but they they also know that I love cooking and, yeah. you know, what they had confidence in my cooking, which is another sort of privilege, another benefit that I had in this situation. That's good. My my family also really loves cooking. Um I think it was a little bit harder for me to get in the kitchen and cook for, for other people. Uh, but I had a really nice experience uh, last year where I cooked with my mom and we cooked some vegan recipes together. And she was open to like trying out new new things. Mm. And um, I don't know, we had a really good time cooking together and making those recipes. And like that was a nice bonding moment in a way. If you don't do this groundwork of communicating your passion, your your values and how it can be, you know, enjoyable for everyone, then you will find yourself in situations that you can't explain yourself out of, you can't cook yourself out of because you're there 
in this foreign place. You don't know any of the options in terms of restaurants. And people are there to be on holiday. And suddenly you can't explain all of this in one moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would help a lot more if they already understood how serious you were. Yeah. And serious is not really the word, but you know, committed. Um, if they understood how much it meant to you, you wouldn't find yourself in this tight position where you can't negotiate yourself out of it. You can't find other options. Being vegan is a change and like it's a social change or like something that's not socially, um, I guess, accepted by everyone. So it's never going to be comfortable, like especially in the beginning, it's very uncomfortable to say no to things that you used to say yes to and like, um, quote unquote, be difficult and so on. So mm. it's it's being out of your comfort zone. There's no like the more you try to make other people comfortable around it the less comfortable you become so like at some point you have to prioritize yourself and uh, set clear boundaries to say like this is how i live now so i would hope that you accept it <laughs> yeah. and accommodate for it if you don't explain yourself then uh, people won't understand you and you'll be in this situation all the time yeah indeed think about the long run <laughs> yeah i think we answered the question i think so i'm not sure um if you have a dilemma relating to veganism, <laughs> doing my, my spiel, <laughs> if you have a dilemma relating to veganism, you can send it to podcast at teachostable.com or use the contact form on teachostable.com forward slash contact. Well, yes. Please send us very difficult questions. <laughs> yeah, that's the most interesting. Teacher's Table. So today on the show, I'm interviewing a food photographer and blogger who this year made the leap from Instagram to international TV as a contestant on the Netflix show Crazy Delicious. She's also active on YouTube and has written an ebook called Tofu All The Way. I'll be asking her about all these things and more. And if you haven't guessed already, it's Romy London. Welcome to the podcast, Romy. Hi there. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, I started following your Instagram around the start of the year when I think you posted in mm -hmm. a vegan Facebook group, probably Vegan UK, saying that you were going to be on a Netflix show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that immediately piqued my interest. And I wanted to know who is this person who's going to be representing Team Vegan on you know a big show on Netflix. I'm guessing I wasn't alone in that. Did you experience a big boost at that time or was it only after the show came out that your social media um, beefed up? Sorry, it's a bad expression to you. <laughs> beefed up. <laughs> it's a not very vegan word. Um, I'm totally going to edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I've been I've been uh, working on my vegan blog for a couple of years already um, and working as a vegan photographer. So it's not that my um, that my social media only just started getting, getting a following through this. Sure, yeah. But um, yeah, I definitely saw like an influx of more people come over. Um, the show first aired on Channel 4 in the UK in... Around, around January, February, I think my episode yeah. was in February. Um, and yeah, then obviously a couple of people um, came over to me once that show was on. Because luckily my my Instagram name is also my name. Yeah. So that's quite easy to find. Yeah, that's very handy. Is that your actual name? Uh, well, London? No, London is not my actual last name, no. Though um, I kind of keep my, my actual last name private because... 
I don't know. On, on the one hand, I don't really like it very much. And on the other hand, I also kind of think well, it's a bit more private and personal. Yeah, you know? that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> now, for those who haven't seen the show yet, how would you describe it to them? Yeah. So obviously the show is called Crazy Delicious. So it's not just something delicious or something pretty. It's something crazy as well. So it's got to be a little mm. outside the box. So I made, um, for example, I made a cream of mushroom slice, which is basically kind of like a pastry but it is made in the flavors of a cream of mushroom soup. It looked like a cake, <laughs> but it was savory and it was like mushroom flavored. <laughs> that sounds incredible. I mean, I wish I could have tasted it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite a challenge, like being the um, being the only vegan chef on the show. But I was very keen on just, you know, just getting myself out there and just trying it out and seeing what comes out of it and just doing my best. So. At one point in, on the show, you said uh, you didn't mind if everyone saw you as the crazy vegan. That made me think, was this a, a lonely experience for you being on the show? Um, not at all. I mean, everyone, everybody on the show, like both the contestants as well as um, as the judges, they were all really, really friendly and really down to earth and very accommodating and very helpful. So, um, but obviously, like, it's probably the same when you're like a vegan and like a big group of non-vegan friends. You always, always kind of feel like nobody 100% gets the things that you, you know talk about or that you mm. are interested in um and it's a little bit like that as well um i mean lots of people are always interested so um during the show like i've had lots of people just asking me lots of vegan questions as well or um i think i think there's a little bit of a cliche when it comes to being vegan that you're always always have to be like a militant yeah. vegan for example and i'm the complete opposite of that and like <laughs> funnily Tiffany, who was on the episode with me, like, she says, like, oh, my God, you're the most chill vegan I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like to judge people for their decisions. I just do what I what what my decisions are and I'll just follow my own decisions and I don't judge other people for, for their decisions. So that's kind of like my mantra when it comes to that. Well, that's very wise. There's a lot of food shows on Netflix, um, mm -hmm. but I think there's only one other instance where I've seen a vegan uh, represented on a cooking show on Netflix. And that was, there was this uh, Zen Buddhist nun, uh, Zhong Kwan, who... Uh, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, you must see it. It's it's really, uh, the episode is all about her and it's really positive and really beautiful and um, fascinating. So that uh, oh, that's on Chef's Table. Um, don't remember. Oh yeah, no, Chef's Table. I just, I just haven't seen that one episode. It doesn't ring a bell. Well, you'll know when you see it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Probably will, yeah. <laughs> well, that's another thing I wanted to ask you, actually, is if you watch a lot of cooking shows yourself. Um, I do watch some. Like, I'm probably not the most knowledgeable person of watching all the cooking shows. Like, I've seen bits of MasterChef, for example, but I don't follow it religiously. Um, mm -hmm. And the same with, well, I do love the Bake Off, but I guess that's just a standard when you live in the UK. Yeah, yeah, it's a phenomenon. Um, and um, no, I do, I do follow those shows and um, occasionally watch like some episodes of other shows, but obviously, you know, when every episode, there's just going to be like some really meaty dishes. I mean, sometimes yeah. I do wash bits of it just to kind of, you know, get inspired by techniques they use or flavor combinations yeah. they use, not necessarily by staring at the meat that they're cooking, but yeah. um, you're just kind of taking the inspiration in different ways. But I don't watch that many cooking shows like over the top. So like, before I, before I did Crazy Delicious, it was quite funny. When um, when they told me, like when I um, did the casting for the show, I had no clue who was going to, going to be on this show. Oh, they, really? You didn't know the celebrity judges? 
No, I had no clue. Um, <laughs> I only found out after I was accepted and after, you know, all the contracts and everything were signed. That's yeah. when I found out. Um, and it was quite funny because they were like, yeah, and the judges, um, oh, yeah, the first one is going to be Heston Blumenthal. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like, <laughs> you know who he is? I was like, no. <laughs> they were waiting for you to gasp. <laughs> Probably. It didn't happen. <laughs> But the thing is, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the UK. I moved right. here yeah. eight years ago, and I only just discovered my passion for cooking and food after going vegan. So obviously, I kind of missed all of these opportunities of being massively interested in the kind of content he put out there. Because, well, I knew yeah. his face, I just didn't know his name. I see. Um, yeah. But it's quite a funny story. <laughs> I get frustrated watching cooking shows. I used to love watching them, but now when I see them, they're always, it really stands out how the chefs and the contestants are talking about animals as commodities and it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It, it does. And I find there are so many cooking shows nowadays. I mean, literally yeah. every time you turn on the TV, you could watch another one and I kind of lost track because there's yeah. just too much out there. But seeing a vegan represented, like your presence on Crazy Delicious made it fun again and more palatable to watch, you know. Oh, and there was, <laughs> there was one uh, moment that made me snort with laughter as well. I think it was you because the editing was a bit fast, but I think you said to one of the other contestants, like, did you see that cheese growing there on the tree? <laughs> and it, it was to me that was like a nod to the vegans watching like, isn't this a bit absurd that there's dairy <laughs> cheese growing on a tree here in this garden yeah. of Eden? I mean, the set was absolutely amazing. Like they had this massive garden with everything growing yeah. in there. Like, you know, sens sensible things as in like, you know, plants and vegetables and fruits, but also some crazy things. Like there was um, a babbling brook, for example, that was made of champagne. Wow. Actual champagne. <laughs> Well, I haven't tried it. I don't drink mm. alcohol, so. <laughs> but oh, okay. they said it was champagne, <laughs> so I just trust that. Well, on TV, it's champagne, yeah. <laughs> it's champagne, exactly. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So everything there was supposedly edible, but I guess you uh, were told well in advance what the challenge would be, and then you had to come up with something, present it to them, I presume. There was this whole process behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a whole process behind it of like weeks and weeks of preparation that obviously you don't get to see on TV. Um, so we knew in advance what the topics were, and then we had to, you know, um, we, we had lots of phone calls with them just to kind of bounce ideas. And then, you know, if we were struggling with an idea or had an idea and didn't know how to actually make that work, whether that's, you know, anything in, in the technique or um, anything in a way of how to present it, they were really helpful with just putting us in contact with people that could kind of give us some advice there. So that was really great. Because obviously, as it's called Crazy Delicious, they want to make sure that what you're in the end producing is actually crazy and delicious and that it's not, you know, yeah. doesn't work out at all when you have to do it. So <laughs> um, I think I drove myself a bit crazy before the show. I can imagine. Like... <laughs> I prepared like some of my dishes so often <laughs> that I literally drive myself crazy with it. I think I think the first dish I made 13 times before I went on the show. Wow, and it yeah. still wasn't working out 100% by the Oof. time I went on it. Uh, can we reveal what the second challenge was? Because I think that was especially um, challenging. I mean, a lot more challenging for you than the other contestants. Yeah, well, the second challenge is... Like in general, the first one is always like uh, they pick a special ingredient and then you just have to create something crazy and delicious around that ingredient. And the second challenge is always um, to reinvent a classic and just kind of interpret it in a completely mm -hmm. different way. 
And the classic that we got was um, a cheese toasty or grilled cheese sandwich if you're American. Um, so yeah, obviously vegan and cheese. That yeah, was already quite a challenge. You had to present uh, a spin on a cheese sandwich to a Michelin-starred chef as well. Exactly. So I actually had to, um, yeah, had to make <laughs> make my own cheese from scratch. Um, it was 90 minutes that we had for that, and I made I made vegan cheese. I made uh, dehydrated crackers. I made croutons and i made a chutney and then decorated everything with like avocado roses and whatever yeah, like on it, a bowl it looked really beautiful and it was very stressful <laughs> well apple and cheese is a great combination yeah that's why uh, it's so, like apples in my crackers because i thought it fits yeah. really well they really like the apple crackers as well i mean obviously in the in the final version that you see online they don't put like the full feedback in it because you know they have to I cut see. it down mm. otherwise it takes way too long Sure. Um, but no, they really like the apple crackers and the chutney. So I was very happy with that feedback. <laughs> yeah, I thought the judges were pretty open to, I mean, they didn't dismiss anything you were making just on the basis that it was vegan. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, they were definitely open and like very interested in seeing like what I'm creating and how I'm, how I'm doing it basically, which was great, which was great. But obviously like if you give like a vegan cheese, especially like a homemade vegan cheese, you know, it's not like it's like an aged cheese that would taste really good. Yeah. Um, if you give that to a Michelin star chef, you know, they're never going to see that as cheese because it's just not the same. And it just doesn't 100% taste the same to somebody with like really fine taste buds. Um, but yeah, I just, I just thought like, you know what, I'm just going to get on with this and I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to try my best. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, the other contestants could just waltz in with the main component. Yeah. I mean, the star of the dish was already made by someone else. So it's, yeah, that was definitely a lot of pressure on you to. It's funny, I only, I only kind of like realized that after. <laughs> because, you know, while you're, while you're creating the dish, you're so in the zone because you're under such time pressure that yeah. like, I didn't even see what they were doing at the same time. Like I had no clue what they cooked until, you know, after we were done with everything. So we got a better view of things from, uh, <laughs> from Netflix. Yeah. Definitely. You got to see a whole lot more than I did. <laughs> so this show was one of your most uh, memorable experiences, presumably of Definitely. the year. Um, but you also had your big move in the summer, in your Instagram stories and YouTube videos, you documented your recent move to, from London to Surrey and being called yeah. Romy London. Uh, there must have been a good reason. It's going to be Romy Surrey now. <laughs> <laughs> Romy Surrey. There must have been a good reason to leave this vegan paradise of a city. Yeah, I mean, Surrey is not that far from London, so I don't really feel like I've left London entirely. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, I've lived in London for the last eight years um, and the last four years in the same one-bed flat. Um, and, like, I, I went freelance two years ago, so I work from home. And especially during lockdown, I just realized how small our place is. So, yeah, we just kind of thought, like, okay, we need something bigger, but we also, you know, London prices. yeah. For somebody that works as a food photographer and like a food blogger, our kitchen was ridiculously small. Literally, I had food everywhere in the old place. I had food in the storage room. I had food next to the washing machine. I had food in the cupboard in the hallway, in the cupboard in the bedroom. <laughs> so it was just wow. like even, even my plates didn't fit anywhere in the kitchen in the old one. I had to keep all of my tableware in a separate space. I think we're a bit spoiled for space now because I don't know how we're ever going to go into something smaller again after this. <laughs> and I 
I spend so much time at home in my job and I, I'm an introvert. I'm a massive introvert. So I enjoy being home, being alone, being cozy mm. and being able to do my thing. So I don't really need to have somewhere to head out to or people to meet every single day. It would actually like really drain my batteries of that if I did that every single day. So I kind of just prioritize that differently. Like when you're in your twenties, you probably want to be like more out there a little bit more, I guess. Mm. Well, you At used to be pretty wild, uh, photographing wild music events and you, do you still have your pink eyebrows or is that, uh... <laughs> I still have them. I still have them. I just, like, since I started working from home, I hardly ever wear makeup. I see, yeah. So when people like watch me on my Instagram stories, they don't really see them all of the time. They only get to see them if I actually go to places or if I've just filmed the video or something like this <laughs> but no like I don't want to have to wear makeup just to take Instagram stories I just kind of liked like it being like straight out of life pretty much so you're settling down a bit in a way you don't do these uh, music events anymore no like I used to I mean it's been a while since I photographed music I um I basically I've done a degree in portrait photography um, back in Germany in 2012 and straight after I moved to the UK and then here I started doing music photography because it was what I was really enjoying at that time um, and I've I've done that for about like two two or three years um, being here but I also kind of realized that that's not where I can you know make a full time income and because you know musicians are artists as well. Mm. Um, mm it's very difficult to kind of get around to getting, getting to that point where you can get a full income on doing music photography. And it's usually just people that already, you know, have money put back and that can actually afford hardly earning any money for a year or two. Um, but I don't have family in the UK, so I had to pay my own bills. So that was just not a possibility for me. Um, so yeah, I kind of, hung up my camera <laughs> as you could say a couple of years ago and then started picking it up again when I when I started getting creative in the kitchen and what was the uh, impetus for that uh, interest in food and uh, and veganism uh, what brought you to veganism actually um I guess veganism was in the back of my mind for a very long time before I actually went vegan um I don't know. I can't even remember why anymore. I don't, I, I can't remember the first time I ever, you know, found out what veganism is. Mm. I never, I, I don't remember that. It's been such a long time ago. Um, but I always kind of idealized it. If you, if you know what sure. I mean, it's kind of difficult to explain. Um, and when I was a kid, I made like some experiences of, for example, like seeing how a deer was killed and cut open. And then the next day we had, um, liver soup mm. from, the liver from the deer and it makes me sick to this day if I even just smell that yeah. but I think that's like the first thing where I really made this connection so it's been in the back of my mind for a very long time and then one day it literally just clicked and I went vegan overnight literally cold turkey mm. so it wasn't some um, sort of inspirational personality uh, or um, some video or anything like that well, it was just a slow process of reflection and uh, change I, th I think I think that's what it was it was in the end like what really like basically kicked me over the edge was watching a documentary one evening after work um but I think if I just watched that documentary and didn't have all of that story before I think I think it probably would have still inspired me but it wouldn't have made such a massive change yeah so um I think it was just a combination of things that have gone on for like the years beforehand already yeah now uh 
you're a reflective, analytical person uh, privately, and you plan your freelance and blogging activities very carefully to ensure you have enough income flowing in from various sources. Can you talk a little bit about how you organize yourself as a freelancer and how you combine that with your social media exploits? Yeah, sure. I could probably talk about that alone for like two hours. Um, I'm, I'm a very like, unfortunately, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I wish it wasn't like that. And I'm working on it. I'm recovering perfectionist. I don't know. I, I've always just been very organized. And I really like when I look at the parts of my job that I really enjoy, you know, organizing and making plans and making lists is one of my favorite thing about it. Um, but what I love about being self-employed is that I can actually manage my own time. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen this online, but um, two years ago, I got diagnosed with early menopause. Oh, no, I didn't. So my my hormonal health doesn't work how it normally would for a woman at my age. Um, and it makes it very difficult for me to 100% plan ahead. So I kind of just like, like that about being self-employed, that I can adjust things where I need to adjust them. Mm. Um, what I need to get better at and what I'm currently doing like practicing to get better at is to take more time out for myself so that, you know, I don't like burn my energy levels to the ground completely. Um, I realize it's really important at the moment. I'm trying to get out of the house every day because, you know, um, especially in the last couple of months where you don't go everywhere just freely as you normally would. Um, it's just very easy that you just, you know, just stay in the house all of the time and you don't actually leave the house. Yeah, that's the risk. So I'm trying to get better with that. (laughs) And indeed finding balance is the hardest part. Doing the right thing for your body, even though you don't have to. But if you're lucky, you know, you have that support, that interest in your well-being. Your friends, your family might tell you you should go for a walk. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's a good learning curve if you have to kind of manage your own time and manage your own, yeah, energy levels, I would say, around it as well. So yeah, I kind of I kind of try to balance that a little bit better. I'm starting to get better at it, I have to say, to not overload my my plans and also to actually take my weekend for myself and not book in photo shoots on the weekend because I I used to tend to do that, but I realized no, I just need to even if I don't feel like I need the time off, I still need to keep that off so that, you know, I don't get to that point where I need the time off. So do you also have time to visit your family or is that very hard? Um, I go see them usually once or twice a year. That's like what, what usually happens. But I speak to my, my mom and my dad almost every day. So I, I'm in constant contact with them and they constantly know what's going on. Uh, I technically can also, you know, just pack up my bags for like a week and just say like, you know what, I'm just going to work from Germany. I mean, I can't take all of my photography equipment there and photograph there, but you know, I can do all of my editing and all of my social media bits and my blog posts and all of that. I can, I can basically do from anywhere. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. But, um, well, it, it does sound handy, but at the same time, you know, I think, I think my parents don't quite understand what it means to be self-employed and to work from home. Mm. <laughs> I've, I've done it before where I was trying to work from my parents' house and my mom was just standing next to me and looking over my shoulder and just as if she was waiting for me to finally finish so we can go somewhere. <laughs> and it was very distracting. And I don't think she understood that, you know, I just need quiet time when I'm trying to get stuff done. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on my phone as well, work-wise. Um, or let's say I can do a lot of my work from my phone, like answering emails, answering messages. I don't know, uploading things to a Dropbox and sending links back and forth and stuff like this. I can all do from my phone. Uh, yeah. And then obviously, you know, my mom, she's like, oh, you're so much on your phone all the time. It's like, yeah, mom, that's that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my parents live in a small village. 
and they don't really know like how it works that people can work from home. I think my parents are still baffled how I make money. That's cute in a way. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think how different it is. You documented your father's visit to you in uh, England on Instagram, and I thought it was really funny <laughs> how you were trying to warm him up to veganism, but in a very sort of subtle way. Yeah, like my dad is, he's the biggest meat eater. Like, literally, his diet is 90% meat, um, cheese. He's lots of cheese and lots of eggs. So he's like the most unvegan person ever. And I know. My dad is very stubborn and I know that I can't force him to change. Um, and also he doesn't like, he doesn't like it if, you know, I would talk to him in a way of, as if I'm trying to teach him something mm, as mm. if, you know, I know something that he doesn't, he doesn't like people approaching him that way. And I know that about my dad. So I know, you know, if I tell him, oh, this is vegan, he wouldn't eat it. You're concerned about his health, presumably, as well. But it's hard to communicate, as you say, that no one wants to feel talked down to, no matter how nicely you do it. Yeah. It, no one has lived decades to then be treated like... Uh, like they're wrong, basically. They don't yeah. want to be treated like that. And I do completely understand that, because on the other hand, as well, I also don't like it if other people treat me this way. No. So but what I know is that... Some of his like preconceptions about vegan products are literally just like, oh, I don't know it. I don't want to try it. But there are, I would, I'm convinced, and this is why I did this whole thing with my dad as well in summer. I'm convinced that he would like certain vegan things if he didn't know they were vegan. Yeah. So like before he came to our house, for example, I, I repackaged like lots of things from the fridge. <laughs> like vegan, I mean, he didn't touch the vegan cheese in the end. Which is fine. Like, I didn't want to force it on him. I literally, I just put it out and I didn't say anything. I just put it in the fridge. I put it into Tupperware. I put, like, vegan butter that he ate for an entire week into Tupperware so that it's not in the packaging so he doesn't see, <laughs> you know. I mean, he could have asked, what is this? Is this vegan? And I would have told him the truth. It's not like I was lying to him. I literally no, just put yeah. it there and I didn't make a fuss about it. And he could have guessed that it was vegan. After all, it was in your house, but... <laughs> I mean, he did, he did bring animal products in my house as well. And, you know, I would not allow anyone to do this apart from my dad. It's like, you know, this, yeah. this, this person raised me. I cannot tell them that they can't put their own food that they only they are going to eat into my fridge. Like, I, I don't know, I just kind of feel that there's like a line where I'm just like, no, this is my dad. And he, he's the only person that can do that in my house. Uh, I, I wouldn't prepare any, any animal products um, for anyone, also not for my parents. Um, but it's just because I find it disgusting. I don't want to touch it. Um, yeah. But some of the things I didn't touch the entire week just so that he doesn't realize, you know, that he's been eating vegan stuff. And he, <laughs> he ate like lots of yogurts. I like, I know that he likes yogurts. So I bought like, you know, lots of yogurts with like berry flavors and whatever. And all oh, of yeah. them were vegan and he was just helping himself to them like during the week. And um, he didn't touch any, well, like sausages and stuff like this, he didn't touch because he could tell. I mean, he's German. Mm, he knows what yeah. sausages look like. <laughs> um, even, even like I bought the, I think it was from Beyond Me, those really, really good sausages. Oh, <laughs> They're yeah. really expensive. I bought those because I thought like, oh, they taste really good. So, But he, he still he didn't touch them because he looked at them and he instantly knew. <laughs> oh, that's a shame, but really. It's a shame. But he did eat some... Um, Meat, uh, meat replacements. I don't really like calling them meat replacements, but you know, he had like uh, vegan mince. He ate like I made a spaghetti bolognese, and he ate that. And I also had made like a potato salad where I had put like vegan soy chunks in, and he also liked that. 
Um, and also potato salad. Oh, potato salad is really nice for me now. It's like, yeah, it was full of vegan mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you don't make a fuss about it, I think it's this whole... Yeah. If I was literally saying to him, oh, you should eat this, it's vegan, he would literally feel like I'm belittling him by telling him what to do. Yeah. Um. So by not... I think the best thing was just that I didn't make a fuss about it. It was in the fridge and, you know, I cooked and he either ate it or he didn't eat it. So your advice to people seeking to communicate with their family or get them interested in vegan food would be just don't be too pushy about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't like being pushy in general just because... I think I would have really hated it before I was vegan as well if somebody just constantly tried to make me feel bad about my choices. Yeah. I I, I like to see it all with like being, yeah, being more compassionate about the people or towards the people that don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, So that I kind of, you know, I mean, I, I used to be a meat eater. It's not like I'm, you know doing everything right yeah. like even now like I, I don't I don't do everything right and that's fine and it's also fine for other people not to be perfect yeah so I think it's just really I mean obviously it depends on the personality you know for some people they might need like a waking up other people they don't want to get pushed to anything so it, it's very individual and it depends on whoever you're dealing with but I always just encourage people to be understanding and to be helpful rather than pushy and preachy that's wise yeah i could talk about this topic for a long time but i'm going <laughs> to bring too. it back to <laughs> london <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, i was there last october for a sort of weekend um, you know that's a good word a weekend <laughs> a vegan weekend and we also stopped by the uh, harry potter studio tour oh yeah it wasn't a gastronomic highlight but uh, as a Harry Potter fan, it was a lot of fun. And I gather that you're a bit of a fan yourself, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I, I love everything Harry Potter. I've been to the studio too a couple of times already. I really want to go again. A couple of times. Yeah, I've, I've been a few times. Um, but I haven't seen Gringotts yet. So I really want to go and see that, which is like the newer area that they've added in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. So I saw that one. If you took a photo in there, you looked like you were in the movie. It was oh, incredible. That's amazing. that's amazing. I really want to see it. No, I love that place, but you're right. Like, there's not really many options for for vegan for vegans there. I don't like. I don't even recall eating anything there. I don't know if I ate anything there. But you know, wherever I go, I usually just bring snacks, anyways. That's wise. How did your um, interest in Harry Potter begin? Were you in at the book stage, or was it around the time I of the was, movies? Or I was in the book stage. Like, I literally I started reading Harry Potter more than twenty years ago. Twenty one years ago, actually. Um, so I was still I was still a kid back then. <laughs> My granddad always used to buy me all of the books. And I think from the fourth onwards, I switched on to reading them in English. It was a long time ago. I mean, the movies, they're okay. <laughs> the books are just so much better. They're so rich with detail and, and feeling. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what I like about the movies is like some of the ways how they filmed them or how they realized it. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, you know, seeing how special effects are done and... Yeah, just also also the coloring and the editing and the mm-hmm. mood and those kind of things I find really interesting about about films. So, but like the screenplay is just always it's always going to be so different when it's a movie. Everything's like so condensed and so cut down, especially the first movie. Where, when I still watch it nowadays, I find it very awkward. Yeah, definitely. It has a so many things missing out. <laughs> sort of a school play vibe to the acting, but of course that can't be helped because they are literally they you know, are very children. Young. Um, yeah, they're very 
I do like watching them. They're not like the they're not like the best movies I've ever seen, but I do rewatch them regularly. Like I've only just watched them again like two months ago. I just went through all of them again. I don't know. It's just kind of like a nostalgia feeling watching yeah. them. That's what I like about them. It's like a, a way to dip into that world without sitting down for hours and reading the whole book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, dare we speak of she who must not be encouraged, J.K. Rowling? I know you're an advocate of trans yeah. rights. Uh, yeah, I, I find it's like, I've, I've even just, was it today where I've just seen something on Twitter again? And, you know, I just, I just closed it instantly. It's like, oh, I can't deal with this. It's like, it's like, it's really like confusing and really, I don't even know. <laughs> it's like one of those topics. I'm just like, I'm kind of just speechless about this. For anyone who's not aware, uh, J.K. Rowling made some... Yeah, disparaging comments, to say the least, about uh, trans people. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even Daniel Radcliffe has spoken out against oh, her has he? opinions. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I feel sorry for her in a way. Like, she seems disconnected from the world a bit. But... Yeah, it, it's difficult to put it into words because, like, um, I do know what she means in the things that she says. I do understand what she means, but I don't share that opinion. Like, she basically says... Is that that trans people like well like, like a trans woman for example mm-hmm. is not a woman that's basically what she says and I don't share that opinion I don't like I I my opinion is that people don't get chosen to be born in the wrong body yeah but how she says it is basically that men decide to be women and then she says that men don't define feminism and men mm. don't define what women are so that she basically says that you know a man that is now a woman is not a woman. So it's, I don't know. It's like, I do, I do know what she means because, you know, it's not the same experience and I do understand that, but there's nothing I can do to change her mind about it. So I don't look at the stuff that she posts anymore because, you know, it just annoys me. So I just, you know, cut that out. I know there is a logic to what she's saying, but um, it's not based on reality i think yeah Yeah. it's basically just her opinion i mean i also i also think that um it doesn't make somebody a bad person just because they have an opinion that i don't agree with because i'm pretty sure i could have a very long conversation with every single human in this world and find something that we fundamentally disagree on sure so I don't think that she is a bad person. In my core, I think that everybody always believes they're doing the right thing. But what the right thing is has a different definition for every person. Well, the thing is, she's so, also damaging the lives of trans women by oh, making absolutely. such statements. And she's even—I haven't read. I don't know why she. I don't know why she. Why she decided to, you know, bring this topic and this conversation out. She must have known that how damaging it is for her to, you know, put these statements out there. Well, I haven't... So I don't understand that decision. I haven't read her crime books. I think she writes, like, mystery, murder mysteries now. Mm. I believe there's um, a negative depiction of a trans woman in, in the book as well. So maybe people came to her saying, what the I, hell is I have this? to admit, I've not read any other stuff apart from Harry Potter, so I, I can't really comment on that. But you consider yourself uh, an intersectional vegan, I gather. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I I think it's really important to kind of support groups that, you know, might not be supported by our system automatically. I think it's it's, it's important to kind of make your voice heard and to try to help, like, the oppressed, basically, whether that's animals or human beings. But on the other hand, I also don't think that, you know, everybody... I, I don't think... 
that veganism automatically means that you have to have um, all of this ethic background behind you because there are people that literally just eat vegan or and there are people that, you know, eat vegan and then do all of this other activism on top. I think it's, I think it's a journey. You know, I wasn't like this, like when I first went vegan and I didn't know so many things when I first went vegan and I just started learning and I started broadening my compassion to more than, you know, just myself in my own life. Yeah, I same here. I think that's kind of like the journey that you go through. I'm pretty sure if we talk again, like 10 years from now, I'll probably have like other opinions again about things that, you know, that I didn't know now and that I wasn't aware of now, but that I might be aware of in 10 years. Mm. So it's just a constant, there's not, there's not like a status quo where you can just be like, Oh, now I'm at this point. Now I know everything. And now, you know, I'm the best person on this planet, whatever. (laughs) It's just a constant, a constant evolving. And I think, I mean, it's, I don't know what kind of people it is that usually think this way, but I've, I've met like a couple of people in, in my previous jobs working in offices that are just very judgmental when you tell them that you're vegan because they just expect that you see yourself as the most ethical person ever and they just try to catch you out yeah. on whatever point you might not be perfect on. It's sad. I think I that's so tiring. Gosh, I think it's probably a combination of insecurity, but also they don't know anything about veganism, probably. And what they have heard is not encouraging. Yeah. And maybe they're even shy to be associated with the, the weirdo, the crazy vegan, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I just find it very important not to judge other people because, like, at the end of the day, we all think that we are doing what is right in that moment and in that situation. Like, I mean, it's a difficult journey. Like, I'm I'm not perfect when it comes to that with, like, you know, not judging other people. Sometimes I have, like, you know, judgmental thoughts come up into my head without me wanting them to be there. Mm. But it's a very, very difficult to find, like, the line between not being judgmental and actually, you know, trying to change things for the better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's kind of, it's, it's a difficult line. It's a difficult line. Definitely. Well, it's really interesting. Again, on this topic, I could uh, talk to you for hours, but I've, I've yes. taken more of your time <laughs> than I said I would already. So I'll just, it's um, fine. I'll wrap it I up. You I can talk a lot. <laughs> well, I, I love it. But before I wrap it up, actually, I would like to talk about your food and your website. Usual. You described your style of food as comfort food with a healthy twist. Mm-hmm. Is there some particular dish that you're most proud of or that represents this uh, philosophy the um, best for you? I think all of my food kind of focuses on being comforting and delicious. But at the same time, I try not, you know, I try not to create junk food. Because, yeah. you know, some junk food might be really comforting to some. <laughs> and I also like some like certain types of junk food. But um, so I don't I, I try to make everything a little bit healthier than their original version. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think one of my favorite recipes on my blog is my uh, are my peanut noodles. And I probably say this every time somebody asks me, but I just really love them. <laughs> well, that sounds right up my alley. I'm going to check that out for sure. It, it's, it's really delicious. It's really delicious. I, I just love peanut butter. And I, I think like the noodles with the peanut sauce on mm, top. That sounds fantastic. And I'm just scrolling uh, through your website now. Uh, it's all crazy delicious in a way. It's all got this sort of innovative twist to it. You've got oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, feta cheese made out of macadamia nuts. That sounds very decadent and delicious. <laughs> It definitely was. <laughs> I also signed up for your newsletter and I got your free 
ebook about tofu. Oh, yeah. uh, what is it again? Um, yeah, I called it Tofu All the Way. Tofu All the Way, yeah. I like that title. <laughs> and it's uh, basically a sort of starter pack for anyone who wants to give tofu a chance because it's got a bit of a bad rap, hasn't it? Exactly. I think lots of people, I mean, I'm in lots of like Facebook groups. So I see so many people constantly post like, oh, hi, like, you know, I'm a new vegan or I'm trying to be, I'm trying to go vegan, but... Like, does anybody know how to prepare tofu? And I see this question almost there every single day. So I kind of felt like people are really struggling to, you know, make tofu taste great. So I've just made this, um, it was in lockdown when I created this um, book when my work was a little bit quiet. So I kind of thought I'll put my creative fuel into something useful. Mm. Um, and yeah, just created a, a little guide with like some tips, like some general tips of how to best prepare it. Um, and yeah, that's basically how, how that came about with the, with the ebook. And I, I hope it's helpful for people. I mean, I have some people tag me into the recipes that they've made. So it seems that some people have at least like cooked some recipes from it as well and just tried it out. What's the most popular recipe uh, from the book? Um, it's probably the katsu curry. Mm, that looks Cause really I make good. like a tofu katsu. I mean, that's super simple, literally. Um, I just love how crispy the tofu gets. Hmm, I might make that Just today. That, that sounds so really tasty. good. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I highly recommend that everyone goes and signs up to the newsletter to get that free book. Um, Thank you. Just and, come over. Come over to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> and to the listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed chatting with Romy. Um, you can find her on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. All the links are found on her website, romylondonuk.com. And, yeah, don't forget to sign up for that newsletter. Romy, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Have a lovely afternoon. And you too. <laughs> John and Val. Vegan Wines with John and Val. Okay, so we got some user comments uh, regarding Hilda's question uh, from Joyce, also in the Netherlands. Uh, she says... What I usually do when eating out spontaneously in a non-vegan friendly place is first find out if the vegetarian option can easily be made vegan, e.g. pizza vegetariana without cheese. If not, I scan the menu for all the veggies, side orders, etc. which I could eat and ask if they can compose a plate for me from that. And she says in brackets, but what I would personally have done is go online for hours searching for restaurants in the region with an acceptable option for me on the menu, perhaps even contact some of the places my family would like to ask if they can accommodate my vegan wishes, then present my short list of restaurants to the family. Uh, tongue sticking out face. <laughs> I can relate yeah, that's good to that. Advice. I, I've done more yeah. or less that. I mean, yeah. it sounds like uh, a lot of effort, but at the end Research of the day... Research and asking yeah. people on the phone. At the end of the day, you should be respected for yeah. being vegan, but you are the one that's being different. So in a way, it is still your responsibility yeah. to do the research and find yeah. some other options. But many times, like people working in restaurants have, you know, they have seen it all. They have seen people with special diets, so they probably don't take it personally if you ask. No. If you have a dilemma for us to discuss, use the contact form on teacherstable.com forward slash contact. That's all for today. If you've enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can catch the next episode 
when I'll be talking to the wonderful Dr. Neetu Bajikal. We can't feed all these children that are starving all over the world. Uh, and so if you do care about child hunger, you may not care of the animals, but if you do care about child hunger, if you do care about climate change, you want to be thinking about what you're putting in your mouth three times a day and whether you can make a difference. Nobody's too small, in my opinion. 